Now, I suspect some of you are thinking this. I had to go to all the trouble to get through the police and the barricades so that you would read an obituary after obituary to us. Some of you are probably thinking, um, you know, what in the world has this to do with me? Or has the church entered into a partnership with Ancestry.com? Now, I'll be honest, this text doesn't contain a lot of action. The action that is described is not particularly exciting. And he died, and he died, and he died. But it is vitally important to see this text, particularly in light of the rest of Genesis, because I think it's vitally important to your, our spiritual life together. I do want to commend Rachel Zong for a very good reading of that with all those names. You win the prize. Why is this so important to see Genesis 5 as we've been working our way through the book of Genesis? Well, let me retrace just briefly the history of what we are, uh, what is revealed to us in Genesis 1 through 4. The story of the universe starts so beautifully in Genesis 1 and 2. God makes human beings in his image. He makes a beautiful world, light, plants, stars, trees, sun and moon, animals of all kinds, in the oceans, in the air, on the land. And these human beings that are made in the image of God, they can relate to God, they can, they can represent God, they can manage the world under God's authority. God has designed human beings to to live in community so that they can have community with one another, but so that they can have community with a God who is community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful picture in Genesis 1 and 2, and in Genesis 3, it all comes crashing down. Adam and Eve disobeyed the one command that God had given them. They ate the fruit from the, from the forbidden tree. And now Adam and Eve's relationship with God is compromised. Adam and Eve's relationship with one another. And, and in fact, all human relationships are now fraught. And even the first set of siblings, Cain and Abel, as we saw last week, where Cain murders his brother. Work is now hard and toilsome. Childbearing brings sorrow and pain. And what we see is that sin destroys and sin brings death into this once perfect and beautiful world. And that brings us to Genesis 5. Because in Genesis 5, what we're going to see are two very important realities. One is the reality of of death that all of us need to come to grips with. But also in Genesis 5, well, there's a lot about death. There's some hope for us that this God who made this beautiful world and watches human beings rebel against him and bring death into the world, we get hints and glimpses of what this God is going to do to overcome sin and to overcome death. So let's look at this first reality, the reality of death that is played out so uh, starkly and so bluntly throughout Genesis 
5. And one more thing I want to, to, to remind you of. Um, read the book of Ecclesiastes. You could look at this this afternoon. Ecclesiastes 7.2 says, It is better to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will take it to heart. So it's important. I'm not trying to be overly morbid because there's going to be plenty of hope in this passage, but let's look at the first reality that Genesis 5 teaches us about death. The Bible is very realistic about death, and in Genesis 5, we see that sin produces death. Sin causes death, and everyone, because we are all sinners, are going to face death. Absent the coming of Jesus, given enough time, we'll do your funeral right here. Given enough time, you'll do my funeral. We're going to die. And all of this is because of what happened in the garden long ago with our first parents, Adam and Eve. If you remember back in Genesis 2 verse 16, God gave Adam a command, this one command saying, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And when Adam and Eve ate that fruit, death immediately comes on them in a number of different ways. Human beings are separated spiritually from God. We saw that in Genesis 3 as, as Adam and Eve hide from God and try to cover their sin. And human beings are separated relationally. Now there is tension between Adam and Eve and between all human relationships. And human beings are separated in some sense from the natural world, meaning that the natural world is now hostile and unforgiving as we attempt to work. But it's also true that the beginning of death enters in after Adam and Eve's sin, and now human beings will experience the separation called death when the our bodies and our souls are separated when we physically die. And Genesis 5 gives us in black and white the awful consequences of sin that confirm God's rulership of the world and the sureness of his words from Genesis. If you disobey and eat of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, you will surely die. I'm not going to go through every section of, of the text, but take a look at verse 4 as you see this pattern over and over again in this genealogy. Verse 4, the days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Verse 6, when Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. And Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years. And had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Seth were 912 years. And he died. Over and over again, we're reminded that sin brings death. Sin is destructive, and sin brings death, and means that every single human being will face death because of the sin of the first parents and our own sin. Death is the consequence of that. And I hope you can see that in God's original creation, death was not really a part of that. We see no evidence that death was a part of the original creation. It comes into the world through the sin of Adam and Eve. 
death is an intruder. We're told in 1 Corinthians 15 that death is an enemy. And so we see that the sin of Adam and Eve has corrupted the whole human race because we share in that sinful nature of Adam and Eve, and that is what causes death. It's not original to God's design, but it has come in because of our sin and rebellion against God. It's the result. It's destructive. And death is now a part of all of our experience. Now, as a pastor, I, I, have, um, I have watched people, essentially, uh, prepare to die. I've, I don't know how many times I've been in a hospice situation where I've walked with people as they're nearing the end of their life. And the reality is there's all kinds of reactions to death. We need to make sure that we're looking at death biblically. I can remember in my own family, back when my children were young, my children were about eight, four, and three, and uh, we were at Westerly Road Church back in the old building, and one uh, parishioner at, at Stonehill, at Westerly Road, wanted my family to keep a guinea pig in our home. And I reluctantly said yes to that. We had a no pets policy because my boy, I didn't want my boys to kill these lovely animals, right? So anyway, the guinea pig comes into the house. It was wonderful. My daughter's petting the guinea pig. She's so happy to have a pet in the house. The boys are, are, are also fairly, fairly gentle with the guinea pig, but uh, we just kind of enjoying that for a couple of days. And then on day three, I notice that the guinea pig is beginning to list to the right and then the guinea pig can't get up, and it's completely on its side. It's still breathing. And my children responded very differently to this situation. One of my children just felt guilty. What did we do wrong? Did I pet the guinea pig too hard? Is there anything we can do? Maybe we didn't give it the right food. Sort of, sort of saying to herself, if only I could do X, Y, and Z, the guinea pig would live. I had another child who had a very a much more blunt response. He would stick his face into the cage and yell at the guinea pig, get up, get up. Well, the guinea pig didn't get up and he eventually died. And because I was a pastor, my kids asked me to do the funeral for this guinea pig. I got a liturgy, you can find it. It's in the Book of Common Prayer. A liturgy for the funeral of a guinea pig. No, I'm... So I, 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 I actually, I, I know this was probably not theologically correct. I read scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, new life, future hope of the resurrection. I've got one child who is still blaming themselves for the death of, of the guinea pig, you know, crying. I still have another child who's denying the reality of death. We had a little cardboard box that made for the casket. And as we put the, dug a hole in the backyard there, it was on church property actually. I'm sorry, elders, I'm sorry. I didn't ask for permission. 
As we were putting dirt on the cardboard casket, the one child who felt like if this guinea pig could just be exhorted to get up, he would, said, don't put dirt on the casket, it might get dirt in the eyes. And he kept yelling as the dirt was put over the casket, get up, get up, get up. My concern for, for, for each of us is to see that we have a biblical view of death, that we look at it. I'm not so concerned how you respond. You, there will be emotions, there, there will be upset, there will be grief, that's all normal. But to think of death appropriately, biblically, death is the horrific result of sin. I think it's very easy for us to, to not take sin that seriously. Certainly our culture doesn't take sin seriously. I think a lot of us sort of view when we sin as we, we view it as, well, I got a traffic ticket. You know, I was speeding. I know, okay, I'll pay the traffic ticket. I'll pay for a little bit higher insurance, whatever. Uh, maybe I'll slow down a little bit, but, it, but the, it's over then. I, you know, I pay the fine and that's it. No, that sin is horrifically destructive and the result of sin for every human being coming after Adam and Eve including Adam and Eve is death the death of an individual who's made in the image of God who's precious who is loved who is valued by God himself and frankly I think God views it as, as, as a mini catastrophe the human being made in the image of God, body and soul together, designed to manage the world under God's authority, to relate to God, to represent God to the world. And when that life ends because of sin, I think God is grieved. You read in Ezekiel 33, 11, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live, turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? God is grieved and so should we. And we would do well to, con to contemplate the, the reality of our own death, not in some morbid curiosity or some morbid thinking that just sort of paralyzes us, but to think about it openly and honestly. Death should grieve us. It should grieve us even thinking of our own death. This is the horrific consequences of sin played out in Adam and Eve and then played out on everyone's life after them. And we live in a culture that in some sense will either try to deny the reality of death, that's the one way people deal with it, or they glorify death as if it's somehow some wonderful thing. But it's, 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 it's neither of those. We should think about death. We should be grieved as God is grieved. And thinking about our own impending death I think would be spiritually beneficial for all of us. It's interesting, when I was young, I, you know, it's, it's, 
It's hard to think about death. I didn't think about it. You know, when I was 14, I thought, you know, I'm Superman. You talk to believers, they will often talk about when they have a health scare that's significant. Or maybe they're in an accident that they, they survive or... I've talked to a number of people who serve in the, in, in, in the armed forces, right? It's Veterans Day this past week, who will tell you it, it, when they were put into harm's way, they begin to think very seriously about death. And it actually was spiritually enriching and can be spiritually enriching if we allow the contemplation of death to lead us to the second reality concerning death that this text alludes to, and that is this, God will defeat death through Jesus Christ. In this obituary that goes over and over again, and he died, and he died, and he died, we get a couple of glimpses of hope that God is gonna provide a way to overcome death, and to overcome sin, and to give new life. Look at verse 21. There's a, there's a change here in, in, in this genealogy. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and he had other sons and da- daughters. Now, now, normally it would say, you know, you know, calculating all the days of Enoch were 365 years and then he died. But then it says this, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. The genealogy, it changes here. And, and I think we get a glimpse of the hope that, that, that God, in, in this case, with Enoch, overcomes death and the normal consequences of sin that Enoch should have experienced, he does not. I want you to turn to Hebrews 11 to get a New Testament reference on this. Turn to Hebrews 11, verses 5 and 6. It's in the back of the New Testament here, towards the end of the New Testament, Hebrews 11, 5 and 6. The writer to the book of Hebrews says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and then he rewards those who seek him. What you see here is that Enoch does not die. God takes him. God takes him up to be with him. Enoch doesn't taste death according to Hebrews 11. Somehow in God's grace and mercy, the consequences of sin for Enoch are not enacted. And this gives us a glimpse of hope that God himself will deal with the consequences of sin and death and overcome sin and death for us one day. There's another little glimpse of hope in verses 28 and 29. When when, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Speaking of Noah, it's interesting in this text that Lamech is saying, is out of the ground the Lord uh, is going to give us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. 
Noah's going to provide relief from, from this, this painful toil. The, the word Noah means uh, relief, but it also sounds like, when you say the word Noah, in Hebrew sounds like the word rest. The toil of work caused by sin, the relief from the curse is somehow going to be relieved through Noah. Now we're going to see starting next week when the flood, when God judges the world for its evil and there's a flood and Noah's the one who is involved in rescuing, uh, is rescued, his family is rescued from that flood. And that may be part of the answer to this fact that, that Noah will give us relief. But I think in another way, what the text is alluding to, what the text is, is giving us a glimpse of is that through Noah, the promise that the seed of the woman, Eve, would one day rise up in the person of Jesus Christ to defeat sin and the consequences of sin and death completely because he's part of that line and Luke 3 mentions that in his genealogy of Jesus Christ. We see that a descendant of Noah is actually going to give us rest and peace from the curse of the work and the toil and the sin that has now compromised our existence. So let me go to Hebrews 2, page 1002 in your church Bible, Hebrews 2, to see this descendant of Noah mentioned in Luke 3 and how... This one, the seed of the woman, Jesus, and what he will do with sin and death. Verse 14 of Hebrews 2 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who is the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death we're subject to lifelong slavery. What we see is a descendant of Noah, Jesus Christ, the, the promise in Genesis 3.15 plays out, and this Jesus Christ is going to put on a human body like ourselves. He will face death in our place so that death and sin are completely defeated by his death. And his sacrifice for sin... And in his sacrifice, death is destroyed. And all those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior knows that although we will experience death, that will not, death will not have the last word because we will be resurrected to new life and live forever free from sin and death. Not only does Jesus deliver us from the power of death and the power of sin, he delivers us from the fear of death that many of us have. And so what you see in Genesis 5 is this filling out of the, the grand narrative of Scripture. We see creation of a good world. We see the fall in Genesis 3, the brokenness of the world through sin which leads to death. We see Jesus Christ redeeming the world through his death and conquering of sin and death on the cross. And it looks forward ultimately to the day when death and sin are completely eradicated from our experience in that new world. Let me give you a, just a practical example of how these 
this text and the power of Jesus' conquering of sin and death can make a difference in your life in so many different ways. I must admit, I, I grew up in a family of hypochondriacs. I, I, I was paranoid from a very early age. I went to the do- doctor a lot when I was a kid. My parents were very concerned that I get treatment for anything. My grandfather was a serious hypochondriac. And this did not get any better when he was 60 years old. He had triple bypass surgery, which the number of years ago that was, was on the cutting edge of sort of a medical technology. And I remember him telling me that when they came in to tell him about the surgery, one of the nurses said, uh, Mr. Melans, um, I just want you to know that I'll be the nurse in your surgery. And my grandfather says, oh, that's good. I'll be the one who holds your heart. And my granddad goes, you're holding my heart? Well, he had this surgery. My grandfather was 60 years old. And because of that bypass surgery and the heart attack that preceded all of that, every time I would visit him, he would tell me goodbye for the last time, over and over again. Probably won't see you again, Trace. Over and over, and it became this kind of emotional thing. And so he said these words to me after he was 60 for 42 straight years until he died at 102. Well, needless to say, I was a little bit of a hypochondriac. So one uh, fall September afternoon when I broke my arm into multiple pieces and ended up in the hospital and uh, I heard the, the, uh, this wasn't so professional, but I I heard the the x-ray technician yelling to his friend, hey, Come and see this guy's arm. It's incredibly. I've never seen a break like this. I'm like, oh, great. And when I was told I was going to have surgery, uh, I, I, I just, I honestly, with, with my hypochondriac nature and my own nature, I started to wonder, am I going to survive this surgery for my arm? And I started to think, I'm going to die. I am going to die. 17 years old, it's over. I'll never play for the Dallas Cowboys. And the passage of Scripture that was quoted to me was from Hebrews 2, the passage I just read to you. That Jesus Christ put on a human body and he tasted death for us all so that sin, which causes death, could all be completely defeated and even the fear of death. And that calmed my little hypochondriac heart and went into that surgery saying, well, if something goes wrong, I'll wake up in the arms of Jesus. He gave me great peace. And the next day when I woke up after the pain of having this compound open fracture, I wished I had passed away. (laughs) Genesis 5 pushes us to consider death biblically. It's an enemy. It's not the way God designed it. It grieves God. It's a result of sin. Sin is massively destructive. We would do well to see that. But as long as we hold that into our minds, but also hold the hope 
that we get glimpses of in Genesis 5, and the rest of the scripture will fill in those glimpses with a far fuller picture that Jesus Christ, in his death, defeated death and defeated sin and defeated the works of, of the devil and even provides the, the, the belief system, the truth, that will enable you to be free from the very fear of death in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to come to grips with our with, de- with death and, 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 and the reality and destructiveness of sin, Lord. Help us not to deny it. Help us not to glory in it. Help us to see it for what it is, a tragedy, a catastrophe, so to speak. But at the same time, Lord, for those of us who know you as our personal saviors, those of us who put our faith and trust in you, we know that you came, and in your death, you defeated sin and you defeated death. You said that you are the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in you will have eternal life. So help us to believe that, and may that comfort us. May that strengthen us. May that motivate us to share this hope with others. May that motivate us to face our own death and our own sickness and our own difficulties with confidence and faith. Help us, Lord, to see death clearly, but also to see what you did to overcome that death and sin. In Jesus' name, amen.